Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom Haverstrow. Tom, fishing is hazing. It's hazing. Oh, to make no, don't con- do this. To make contestants fish for the, one of their final three. A final three quickfire challenge that gives the winner an advantage in the crucial pre-finale elimination final and make them sing for their supper or fish for their challenge or whatever. It is It is just, it's, it's undignified. It was great TV. It was great TV. It was fun. It was great to see uh, Adrian just kind of wallowing and, and just saying, oh, oh, I almost got one. Oh, wait, no. It's, the clock's ticking down. There's 28 minutes, 26 minutes left, 22. And it's going bum, 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 
You know, it's, it was great. I yes. thought it was awesome. And as a fisherman myself that has, has been out there on the lake or out on the, on the pier in North Carolina on Oak Island and just sat there for hours, I know what it's like to be Adrian, but I also know what it's like to be Joe Flam getting that fish right off the bat. It's, it was a, I, I love that wrinkle. You're just, you're just not having no, fun. For, for you, our, you don't like fun. For our, I, I hate fun. Uh, for our viewers, uh, the, the, the challenge was to work with mountain rainbow trout or mountain trout. Uh, but the catch was, is the challengers had to catch their fish. It is clear on this broadcast which one of us is a fisherman and which one of us believe, is like a Jewish guy who lives in Los Angeles who believes that I like to go fishing. I take a number at the counter. And then there's yes. a guy in a white smock who says, what looks good? And then I ask about the sea bass or the halibut or the sole. And this is my version of cooking. I suspect that our contestants feel similarly. And I really thought Adrian was going to get screwed, and she kind of did get screwed out of this. Um, they had no. 40 – the challenge requires – it's a 40-minute challenge uh, that, that required at least a third, almost a half of that time be devoted to outsmarting a fish. Look – um, I have fished in Colorado, actually on the Eagle river, uh, right outside of Denver. Okay. Out, right, right by, you know, Beaver Creek there. Um, it's fun. Uh, they got some big fish. Those are some big trout. I don't know. You know what, and, man, if, if I'm going to spend some time trying to seduce another living thing, I better be sleeping with them at the end of the night. <laughs> well, <laughs> look, Adrian, Adrian, her mistake was not that she took too long. It was that she didn't understand that you can't have a uh, a sashimi rainbow trout. Can, can I ask you a question? Could you have one thing I was going to I thought was going to happen was can you just roll up your pants and take that big ass net? Because they were all they clearly put trout in that pond, right? Like, yes. OK, couldn't you have just gone pond. in there and just like swiped with a damn net like and just kind of done that? Because I was that's what I would have done. You know, I think unless you get it on the first try, they're going to be up. They're going to know your antics. They're going to know that you're that that being standing on the on the side is my death. So I think if you, unless you get one clean swipe at a fish, I think that's going to be a bad method. But it would have been funny. It would have uh, been funny to watch. No, and you mentioned it. So Adrian, w w I didn't know either. Apparently, you cannot do a crudo or a raw sashimi of a mountain fish because. As uh, as our judge said, the the bear does shit in the woods, and apparently he shits upstream in a river. And if you serve trout crudo, uh, you are essentially serving like the bear shit special. And and I don't think Padma knew this either because after Chris mentioned that uh, Chris Constantino, she was like, "Wait, should I not eat that anymore?" So she wasn't. I mean. It, Adrian didn't know. I don't think Joe Sasto, I think Joe in the commentary afterwards, he said, well, I'm glad, glad I'm screwed up and actually cooked through uh, my trout, even though I wanted it to be al dente. Yeah. So, um, and it was an interesting challenge. I mean, once, once we got out of the, out of the pond and, and so Adrian has absolutely no time. So she goes with a very barely seared, let's just get, and I love crispy trout skin, I have to say. Um, she does a barely pan-seared trout with a ponzu vinaigrette, this very lovely uh, kind of crispy skin, that, that kind of chicarones fish skin that you're starting to see on a lot of restaurants, some fried rice paper. It looked delicious, and by all accounts, the sauce was delicious, but the judges refrained, refused to eat it uh, for, for concerns for their, for their health and intestinal uh, fate. When it comes to fish, like I, I like my steak rare, right? But when it comes to fish, 
it's either uncooked, like raw crudo style, or it's cooked through. Oh, I'm see, not I, a huge fan. Oh, I love that. Like you know, you that you know, you like get the tuna or the salmon, and it's just like seared on the outside, and you it's kind of sashimiish on the inside. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tuna steaks. Okay, like I'm okay with that. But the idea of like a trout that's half cooked, uh, for some reason, that idea of like a of a fillet of trout that's that's half cooked. That doesn't that doesn't seem appetizing to me, but you're right. It's hypocritical if I like a very rare tuna. Right. So uh, so she 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 was out, and then we have the two Joes. Uh, Joe Flam does a pan seared trout with this kind of what black garlic beurre blanc with a fennel yep with with a fennel uh, and, and mushrooms and asparagus look quite good. Uh, and, and what else did we have? And then we had uh, Joe Sasto who did um. Some rillettes, some smoked trout rillettes with with delicious looking corn cakes and a berry glaze. I'm kind of liking this sort of Colorado theme. That time of year in Colorado, we, we saw Carrie kind of play around with the berry glaze is sort of a compliment to kind of like mountainy, hearty cooking. And uh, that looked really good, too. Joe Sasto confessed that this was the first time he butchered a fish. Did you butcher a fish? You clean a fish, right? Well, he said, yeah, you clean a fish, but he said butcher. He said, this is the first time I've ever butchered a fish in my career. And I was like, I was stunned by that. How are you, how are you, how have you been a chef or a cook for 20 years, 30 years, Joe? And you've never cleaned a fish before? Um, yeah, I, I was the a little surprised. The first time you clean a fish is in like the finals of, of Top Chef? For my birthday last year, uh, my boyfriend took me to a Japanese, like a, a whole morning, like four hour cooking class you meet at the market. You meet at the fish market at 6.30 a.m. really early. You get your stuff. You go back to this loft. And then you kind of learn the basics of kind of Japanese cooking, learn how to do a dashi, you know, mirin and sake and soy, kind of the, the very basics of, of Japanese cooking. And uh, I, I had to clean a fish um, and it was quite fun. It was a little satisfying. I, I mean, it does present problems around the house. Uh, you do have to walk that stuff outside in your in your driveway mm. trash can. But um, uh, I, I had fun cleaning the fish. And that said, I won't do it again. Um, last that, year, that's what we have uh, I, guys in white smocks for. Yeah, last year I, I went to Oak Island uh, with my in-laws, which is a beach about a north, an hour north of Myrtle Beach on the on the North Carolina coastline, and you can shark fish off the shore, which is kind of scary. Um, I, I'd I'd like to say that. Uh, By sometimes the way, wait, when wait, I hold, go- on, hold on one second. That the, the Outer Banks had a bunch of shark attacks in the last few years. That got to yeah, be a very yeah, sharky place. Yeah, and it's recently so. It's not recency bias, but recent, recently so. They've been there have been a lot more, um, not just shark incidents or sightings, but also shark fishing off the shore. Maybe that's related. Um, that there's a lot more fishermen that I've seen anecdotally um, actually trying to catch uh, like mako sharks off the shore. And one, um, these two guys were fishing. And they were fishing for mako sharks off the shore and they, they caught one and it was amazing. I filmed it. It was this time last year and I filmed, it was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Caught on my phone. And I said, what do you use for bait? And he's like, Oh, I gut a fish and then I throw it in a bucket outside and leave it there just to rot for two days straight, 48 hours of letting this fish just rot. In the sun, 80 degrees, 90 degree North Carolina sun beating down and letting this fish just fester, throws it on a hook, hopefully with gloves on, and then sharks just go nuts for it. And I thought that was disgusting. That is disgusting. By the way, uh, 
eight attack, four attacks in 2014, eight attacks in 2015, three attacks in 2016. Um, North Carolina has seen a surge of attacks in the last 10 years. Uh, and I think it's this guy's fault. It is. It is. Um, um, and, and now we're not going to be able to eat fish again. So that's uh, good. So Joe Flam, despite the fact that his skin was not crispy, wins the challenge. As a result, he gets an advantage when the advantage ends up being the last three eliminated contestants, Carrie, Chef Chris, and, um, Bruce. and Bruce are presented as uh, sous chefs. And he chooses Carrie, interestingly, assigns Bruce to Adrian based on the fact that he does not want to put two Italian rustic or Italian cooking chefs together in Joe Sasto and Bruce. And then uh, Joe uh, inherits uh, Chef Chris. And uh, it's an interesting challenge. I was shocked by the parameters. I don't know about you. But but in a final three, basically, only thing standing between you and the finale is this challenge. They lay out the challenge. It's going to be vegetarian only. And the prime heat source has got to be a cowboy cauldron, which is basically a wood-fired drum. They got to produce 200 portions in three hours for the Aspen Food and Wine Classic, which is like the Sundance Film Festival of food. It is where every notable chef in the country, across the world, it is one of the premier culinary events in the world. I'm dying to go myself sometimes. Uh, so it's a huge thrill for them, but they have to basically cook vegetarian food and an outdoor wood-fired drum for 200 of the like notable, notable people in three hours. And Judge Danielle, uh, Danielle Balut is going to be from, from Danielle, one of the more refined, notable restaurants in New York City. Uh, you're talking about kind of a you know generational Hall of Fame chef is, is going to be a- among the judges. This kind of felt like right before the NBA finals, if Adam Silver, the commissioner, just said, all right, everyone, you are no longer allowed to use your left hand. Yes. Where I, it's I, like, wait, no, I want to see them cook protein on these cauldrons from like the medieval times. Like that would be so amazing to watch. Like throw on a ribeye or throw on a leg of lamb onto that. And I, that's what I want to see is a protein. And then it's like, wait, you're not going to be able to use meat on that on that cauldron. That seemed kind of backwards to me. Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed. I, I, I do like protein to be on, on the table. I don't mind. I, I find constraints fun. I mean, I, I think some of the better challenges this season in general on the show are when they sort of whittle down the the contestants to the bare necessities or have them cook in the woods or camping. And I, I, I do think that can be a fun thing. This late in the game, I prefer, yes. like you do, I think, to get, see to get the, the kind of the full palette of options in terms of proteins and uh, and, and whatnot. And maybe you could have made it. I would have loved a lamb challenge. Like lamb would have been really great. Mountains. I think you still could have done the uh, the cauldron. Um, and, and it's 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 really interesting. I mean, I, I'm kind of thinking going in. Does this does this does uh, any who has the advantage here? And I didn't really come up with an answer. I was like, does this help? I mean, I think the question when you put limitations on any challenge is who gets helped, who gets hurt? Like we knew this season that if you started taking away tools, Carrie was going to perform well. She is, in the words of Joe Flam, a mountain woman, right? Like like there's, there's a resourcefulness to her game that chefs who have been dolling it up in fine places in San Francisco or Chicago don't have in their tool shed. And it, it so, but, I, but on this one, in terms of vegetarianism, like I didn't really have a, I didn't have an answer. I thought, frankly, I thought Joe Sasto, uh, given his propensity for pasta, 
which is a you know essentially can be a I mean it's not a meat dish but you can get so much substance from I was absolutely convinced even though I know that it was a wood drum and it was they're looking for char that I thought he would be able to do a pasta he would maybe char the components into a sauce or something in it, but ultimately go to his old trick which is pasta and I was shocked yeah. that he didn't shocked that he didn't you know, I'd love to ask him because I feel like maybe that was a limitation that we didn't know or a constraint that we didn't know, yeah. that they had to feature the vegetable as like the 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 star of the show. Right. And, and again, I could see the rationale against it, which is, hey, look, this is a wood fire drum challenge. And it's clear from the judge's table that they wanted char like that was a thing they wanted in 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 the final dish. So you could say, look, pasta kind of negates that. And, and if you can do pasta on a wood drum. I mean, how do you even do it? Do you boil the water? Do you like, like you know, they, they had a full kitchen to their disposal, I think, but, um, or semi full, but I was shocked that he didn't take the opportunity given for what, that what pasta can do for vegetables, that if you are given a meatless challenge, how pasta can provide sort of a substance and given how gifted he is at preparing pasta, I was shocked he didn't go with it. And okay, then you char a sauce. Uh, or, or sauce of charred vegetables. And um, instead, Joe Sasta goes with a, a beet carpaccio, and I love beets, and I think beets are a fantastic meat substitute. But that's the direction he goes in. Uh, you know, he's going to do it with a sourdough toast. He's going to have, like, a beet yogurt, a, a, a gooseberry relish, He's and he puts, like, the log. He does try to go for the char. He puts the log in and the embers. with. Uh, he wraps the golden beets in foil, which is a great tactic, and dumps them in the in the fire. Um, but that's how he goes. But I, you, I was shocked he didn't do that? it. you saw that? Mm-hmm. When, when you saw him put the embers in the sauce or whatever, I was just thinking of my mouth being just peppered with splinters. Oh, I don't think it's I like, like it's, he, I don't think it's like he just dumps a tree in there or something. I mean, he, he dumped like an entire charred log into his soup, his sauce. That was amazing. I was, I've never seen that. I didn't even know you could do that. I yeah. thought you would just get a bunch of, you know, sprinkles of, of char in there. And I don't know if that was... I, I don't know why I think that was so foreign to me, but I, I thought that was genius. Yeah, I'm I'm really ignorant. I got to be honest with you. Like, I've never smoked anything. Well, I've smoked plenty of things, but I've, I've never smoked any food. <laughs> like, I've never, like, I've never, I don't have a green egg. I haven't kind of toyed with Gravlox, which is a is sort of, a, every year I say this is as much as I love locks and kind of grew up on smoked sable and, and all that stuff. Like, I've never in my life cold smoked anything, hot smoked anything. I don't have an egg. Uh, this is a this is sort of a huge hole in my knowledge. I don't even really understand the chemistry behind it. Um, my friend Steve Daly is sort of my 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 house smoker. Like he's so brilliant with this stuff. We do the Super Bowl every year. He comes over at seven a.m. and starts the fire and does it all day. And I and I'm just kind of watching. I, I have recused myself from all smoking activities, and I know nothing about this technology. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. 
You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not gonna find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Yeah, but the the whole dumping of the log itself, the embers into the sauce, that was that was cool. Um, but he didn't see Joe Sasto. He didn't seem like he knew what his vision was. Like he seemed like he was struggling a little bit, and that's why I kind of feel like there might might have been like a secret pasta constraint here because usually he is like, you know what, I do pasta. I do classical cooking. I know what I'm going to be doing, and here, here I go. Well, and, and, and so, this time it seemed like he was just wall, you and, know, wallowing a little bit. And and uh, what did him in is uh, one of the things that did him in, ironically, is that sourdough bread, which they did not like. And I wonder again, it was it was clearly an intention to get some starch on the plate, right? To get a little bit of, you know, just kind of get get, get a little bit of weight outside of the vegetables. And I wonder if that that sourdough toast had been, I don't even know. A, one one ravioli, one raviolo, although you have to do 200 of them. I mean, that's the other thing is what I think the constraint might have been is how do you do pasta for 200 people in that amount of time? And I think that's probably the constraint. Now that I'm talking it through, I'm like, wait a minute, of course. You got to do pasta you know, for 200 You know, Carrie, you know, Carrie is looking at this being like, your, your toast wasn't fancy enough. You know, it's funny. Isn't it ironic that Joe Sasta, <laughs> who's been giving Carrie some – Good natured shit. I mean, he's not being, a, you know, he's yeah. not being a dick. He's just, you know, he's talking. And, but for all the toast, what did one of the things that did him in was that sourdough toast. Like, had the, as yeah. you said, had the toast been fancy, Joe Sasto might be moving on to the finale. As it is, he's, he was eliminated. Um, Adrian has a really big vision. It's very interesting. She gets put with Bruce, and um, you know, Bruce is full of suggestions. Bruce has been cooking for years, and Bruce. Was oh, that what you're calling it? Uh, was, well, he was, but he was bossy. Is basically the implication. Yes. He was, he was freaking bossy. He was, he was kind of a note. Was he a little bit of a know it all? Is that, is that the interpretation from the from the tape? I mean, he didn't seem like the sous chef. He seemed like the executive chef. And there was some kind of like gender dynamics yes. going on there, where uh, Adrian mentioned that when the chefs were walking up, or the guests were walking up to the to the station to her stand. They kind of felt like Bruce was the was the winner and she was the one who was the sous chef. And that dynamic I thought was throwing her off. And I know the editing of the of the show kind of uh, was was spinning that narrative was that Adrian was was kind of losing it um, because she felt like Bruce was taking over a little too much. Yeah, and I, she really vindicated herself. You know, it's interesting. I, she had it, it. She had, I think, the most stops and starts of all the chefs in terms of planning. Um, but I thought this was like, you know, like when we one of the narratives when we cover an NBA game, like a team that doesn't have their best game, but still pulls it through like this to me seemed like one adversity after another. She decides she's going to go with an elevated southern corn pudding. She's going to wrap it in a Swiss chard leaf. Um, and she every single turn she was thwarted. 
She wanted to do tempura shishito peppers. It's not happening. So they became charred shishito peppers. She wanted to do lovely little lime pearls. Wasn't happening. Became a lime gelée. The pudding wanted to be firm. Too bad. It's too soft. Now we're adding coconut flakes, right? Like every time she tried to execute one component of the dish, she was thwarted. Whether it was the cook, whether it was the drum, whether it was the altitude, whatever it might have been, she was thwarted. Yet she fought on and she put together the components became mushroom, a champagne broth that might have been a little thin, but we don't know. Um, you know, there wasn't a hell of a lot of char, but she stuck with that southern corn pudding wrapped in the Swiss chard leaf. And interestingly enough, in the poetic kind of virtue that I that I love with her newfound game, which is she won on she she not she didn't win the challenge, but she she got through on flavor, on seasoning, mm. on and, and this. This was, in my opinion, a microcosm of her in general exactly. uh, on the show is that uh, she tripped up in the beginning. She seemed a little lost and then kind of found herself and came through when it mattered. And in the first three episodes of this season, Adrian was on the bottom three in each episode. And she didn't win her first elimination challenge until uh, two episodes ago. And she is now in the final. And I think this dish... I was kind of surprised just by the look of it. I didn't think it was all that aesthetically pleasing. I didn't no. I didn't see the the It looked the, like porridge. It looked like porridge and then you throw a shishito on there and we all know that, you know, shishitos are super big these days. Um they're on practically every appetizer menu that you find in America and it wasn't even charred and I just thought that this dish wouldn't jump off the plate like it like it did. The judges loved this dish. Yeah, and and I think one of the things I think that 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 was revealed is of she won on creativity she is the most creative she was the most creative chef down the stretch she has been the most creative chef down the stretch it's close because joe sasta is a really creative chef but just in the she is the chef that can bring the brightness the spice the contrast between kind of you know heat and homeliness i mean she that that is who she has become and and so not only does she bring technique she took care of the seasoning element and she's become increasingly creative. And, and there was a moment there with her being basically uh, Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm where Tom Coleco just won't shut up. Oh God. <laughs> I was, and I, as somebody who kind of gets into his own work wise, like as someone who doesn't want to yap in the press room when we were on deadline, like I, that, that part of me was just like, I was so in, I, I felt you, Adrian, at that moment. Like people talking at you when you're trying to concentrate. Stop talking to, at me. And you're trying to be polite with one word answers and just being very curt and concise. By the like, way, this is why yes. I can't work in an office, Tom. This is why I cannot work in an office. I cannot be in a cubicle. I cannot – the dude who stops by your cubicle to talk. Like I've dealt with that. I can't do it. This is why I work at home. And Tom Colicchio just was not picking up the signals. Oh, like I think Tom he knows. Just, oh, I think he knows. He's hazing oh, them. you he's think it was on purpose? Oh, he knows. He's like he finds the most vulnerably stressed out chef, and he goes and yaps at them about some freaking like endeavor from the early two thousands back when he was. Eh, no, he he is very deliberate about wanting to fuck with them. Yes, that's my at least my instinct. Yeah, and he um, and then he. I think it was, was it Joe Flam's dish that he was very harsh on? Um, was it Joe Flam? Or, no, I think it might've been Joe Sass though. He, he didn't, he didn't save his, uh, his fury for, for Adrian no, he, a little bit. Right. right. No, so Joe Flam 
of the three chefs goes with the most rustic, most simple, I don't want to say least creative. I mean, I think all of them are creative, but I think just to something that kind of in a, in a, in a comfort zone. Now, he's going to grill baby zucchini to order, which is a really good idea, as Joe Sasto says. Like, at the end of the day, it, it, it was a smart way to go for a 200-person challenge. And he's going to top it with hazelnut zucchini pesto, which he makes from a charred big zucchini. Mushroom vinaigrette, a little goat cheese, some nuts, some raw asparagus salad. It's a very, it's a pretty little plate. Um, now, uh, Tom point, rightly points out that, that baby zucchini doesn't really taste like much. As somebody who does this sort of, I, I, there's a squash dish I love to do, kind of a summer squash casserole, very southern. Um, I, I, I have found that like baby zucchini is just kind of, eh, it's just kind of watery. Like it doesn't have like that squashy flavor. And and that was one of um, that was one of Chef Tom's uh, big uh, complaints, uh, and and it was more rustic than the creative swing for the fences that the other two chefs took. However, however, what Joe Flam got that the other two did not get, as you mentioned previously with the with the shishitos, Joe Flam got the char, and and he understood fundamentally. It's it's very interesting, and, and it's something that a lot of our guests have talked about. That it's about knowing what you. Th- there's the ostensibly what we think the challenge is about, but what the challenge is actually about. And it mm. became very clear when Gail Simmons showed up and, and you know, and Tom got in on the action that like what they were looking for is could you use that cowboy cauldron to get the woodsy smokiness that we're looking for? It's not about, oh, hey, do the best thing with vegetables or even feature the vegetable. Yeah, we, we don't care. This clearly was a challenge when they wanted char and they rewarded the chef that gave them char and they punished the chef that didn't give them char. I thought that was an awesome dish. I would have loved to eat it. It was what I called a kini canoe, a zucchini canoe. It oh, delicious. that's cute. I like that, Tom. A kini canoe takes the cake here for Joseph Flam. He makes the sweep. He wins the quick fire and the uh, the elimination challenge. And your boy is coming, rising from the dead. Yeah, what's the score? What's the score? Well, you're still down by a hundred points, um, but but what do I get for if he wins the whole thing? Uh, we never actually we never actually put the number on it. Right now, you're down two hundred sixty-two to one hundred forty-seven. Oh, I'm screwed. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it's not. I don't think the margin is is quite surmountable for you. Yeah. Um, and unless we say that Joe Flam, if he wins, he gets one hundred twenty-five points, which I don't think is very fair. But you are. Um, you might have the winner of Top Chef on your roster, Kevin. It's it's very interesting. Um, I, you know, it's funny, too, because I've become a sentimental favorite for Adrian, as any listener of this show knows. Like, I just love the trajectory. I love I – love, frankly, I just love her food. I mean, I, that, that's the other thing is I'm just – that of the chefs that are remaining, Adrian's the menu that I would – you know, I, I tend to do – fish you know fish forward menus i tend to avoid kind of rustic pot like italian it's not my not my big thing um she's she's such a beautiful technical chef and uh but but i'm 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 excited that i do have representation with joe flam who i'm also i love all three of these chefs um by and large i've loved most of these chefs uh this season but um adrian continues to be fascinating she might if she and i'm gonna here's the thing called it early on Here's the thing. I think she's going to win. I think she's going to win, and I'll tell you why. What is the finale, Tom? What what are the what is the def, what are the defining features of a Top Chef finale meal? Like, what does a chef have to do? 
I mean, it's precision, it's mm-hmm. vision, mm-hmm. it's technicality. Mm-hmm. You have to show your skills mm-hmm. and you have to be focused. And you got to nail your protein. You got to know your protein. You got to, I mean, she, she's I, got all the elements. But I, I think you know she Just is a finale. Is- she is a finale chef if I've ever seen one. You take away all the rules. Just rely, as you say, on all those things you talked about. I think Adrian is the perfect finale chef. That might be. That no. might be. And I, I got to I gotta admit, like, she did so much better on this episode than I thought. Like, I thought given all the constraints, the, the Bruce pairing was not her first choice. That was Joe Flam's choice. And she just rose above and she has been flying. I mean, in the last four weeks under our point system, she's at 10, 9, 23, and 10. She's just bringing it every single time. And even though she didn't wasn't able to catch a fish until 22 minutes left and even though she was dealt a huge blow by Chris the the guest judge by saying uh, I have shit on my on my uh, food that you prepared for me um, she rallied uh, and here she is coming into the final episode uh, with all the momentum I know Joe Flam won this past episode but I kind of feel like Adrian yeah. is the hotter chef right now. yeah I, I do too and and like let's just say like she who's gonna win that dessert course next week yeah it's gonna be Adrian. Adrian's gonna win the dessert course. all right so one point right there I mean I think she can take two out of three I, I think she will do some fish dish that she brought with her in her back pocket and she is going to unleash it I, I think she is is well equipped for a finale performance as any chef we've seen in recent years. Um, I, I, I just think her her skill set is is perfect for that kind of judge. Now, by the way, Joe Flam's a hell of a chef, man. Like, I, I mean, it'd be ridiculous for me to count him out. But I will take on the morning line. Like, let's set the morning line. I mean, what do you think? If, if truly there was a Vegas line, I mean, put my biases aside, and I actually clearly have a bias toward Adrian, just in terms of personal taste. What do you think the morning line is? You know, I I think it's kind of even. I can't put a favor on it. Yeah, it might be a pick 'em. Pick 'em. Because Adrian doesn't have the the full repertoire, right? The 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 full um uh overall track record cuz she's really struggled finding her way until the till halfway through the season. But I mean, she has just been dominating out of the last few weeks. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that Joe Flame coming off the quick fire and elimination challenge victory um he, that he's got it. I mean, he's finished. He won the last one. He he didn't win the previous episode, but he came back and finished in the high one. And he came back from uh, from Last Chance Kitchen. I feel like it's a pick 'em. What do you think? I think it's a pick 'em too. Uh, what's going to be very very interesting is if Adrian wins. Is this among? Not only upset in a finale, I'm talking about from episode one. Would this be the most monumental comeback ever? Like, would this be uh, the, the biggest shocker ever? It's a great question. I think I'm going to have to dig into that for the next episode and see if she wins. And even if she doesn't win, um, the fact that she was able to get to the finals in the first place after being in the low for three straight weeks out of the start gate, um, that's – that. I can't imagine that's been precedent. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I mean, Nicholas. No, he was, I mean, I'm trying to think of who, I mean, we've had some, I mean, often I think you can look in the first four weeks and identify 
the favorite. I don't know that we could have looked eight weeks in in anybody. I mean, and I don't want to put her in a Hosea Rosenberg category, kind of the much maligned Hosea Rosenberg from season five as somebody who, because I, I mean, I, I think her game is so advanced. But it is. it would truly be, I think, one of the biggest shockers vis-a-vis like episodes one through four. Like who okay. um, in their right mind after one month said, yeah, Adrian's got this. Nobody. I could be wrong, but according to my analytics, um, there has never been someone who had three lows finished in the bottom three, three straight times to start the season ever, period. Now, there period. are some asterisks right there. Like she got I think one of those was team. One of them was sure. um, uh, Claudette didn't know how to smoke fish, cold smoke fish. But it just just to show you, I mean, I'm sure in the in the history of, of Top Chef, there have been Adrian type weird quirks to happen, but they simply haven't happened for three straight weeks to open the season. And the, the closest comp, I guess I could, you could point to is Marcel from season two. OK, Marcel came out with two straight lows in the first two weeks, finished in the middle in the third episode, didn't win his entire elimination challenge career up into that season up to that point until the 12th episode and then he got his first win and then he finished as a runner-up in that season too so i think that's the comp here for adrian right there's truly i mean this would be an extraordinary win no doubt let's talk about flam because you know flam's had a really interesting season uh he is i mean i mean you know solid pedigree uh, I was huge. I kind of, you know, had him pegged as like my error-free cooking. Like that's just not a guy who's not going to screw up um, much. He like was was asserting himself right before the moment he was eliminated as probably the strongest chef. He was the star of Restaurant Wars, a guy who operates both from an executive level, front of the house, good kind of prep instincts, just knows how to prepare eventful meals, right? I mean, this is what this guy does. Um, goes in, gets gets bounced after his big win, works his way back through Last Chance Kitchen, uh, and then has some hiccups even since. I mean, it hasn't been a perfect ride. He has not, um, but but has kind of found his way into the finale and himself a very interesting trajectory. You know, he didn't. He wasn't necessarily in Last Chance Kitchen for as long as Kristen was. Kristen's just a gen- juggernaut. Um, you know, was dominating the season until she was voted out. Uh, she had to pack her knives in episode like seven or eight and then was in Last Chance Kitchen uh, fighting her way for like five straight weeks and then came in uh, with, you know, in the final th- two episodes and then won the whole thing. This Joe Flam has been very, very good and came back from Last Chance Kitchen. I think he beat brother to get back in. Um I don't know. Do we have to look at some point as, you know, if you come back from Last Chance Kitchen, does that give you a leg up or something like that? I don't know, because Joe Flam, again, it's a pick em. Uh, Adrienne, as hot as she's coming into the finale, Joe Flam uh, has the personality. I think everyone loves him. You saw when he got voted out, uh, you know, the whole the whole room just turned into a puddle, just tears. And so not only is he a lovable uh, chef, but he's also extremely talented. Yeah, it's going to be a good finale. I think it's going to be really well. We even got a teaser from I think the uh, from the episode on Thursday night where uh, what did Padma say is the best finale food she's ever had, which is insane because yeah. if you think about like season ten finale, you think about the um, 
you know, the, the, the Paul Key episode, uh, you know, season nine in Texas, uh, there, there have been some really good finale meals. Um, generally speaking, there's always this golden kind of hue over the finale where it's generally speaking, these are great chefs making great food. I can't remember the last time, like there was anything other than really top level cooking on the finale, according to the judges. So, uh, and yet we're, 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 we, we got a teaser that Padma thinks this is among the best finale meal she's ever had. Okay, let's make a prediction. I've got Adrian, and, and for the reasons I stated, I, I just think that it is a an, the finale is an event that rewards technicality, um, and it re- rewards refinement. And obviously, both these chefs have both of those things, but I just think those are calling cards for Adrian. I'm going with Adrian too. Is that lame that we're both on the same side on this one? No, no. I I, I like I like being agreed with. <laughs> she's on my team. I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for. She's, her as well. I'm rooting for Joe Flam as well for 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 that reason. I'm rooting for both. I, I I have no dog in the fight, though. I I do love the Adrian story. Yes. So I think I think Adrian um, is maybe the slight favorite at the Pack Your Knives table, but uh, generally I think Vegas would put this as a pick 'em. Yeah, it's um, a pick 'em. Hey, listen. Before we go, uh, J.R. Smith was uh, suspended by the Cleveland Cavaliers, a starting shooting guard for the Cavaliers, for throwing a soup, a bowl of soup, at his assistant coach, former Cavs, Damon Jones. Your reaction? Soup is dangerous. That's hot. I mean, is was that hot, right off the yet? boil? And is it chunky? Um, is it a chunky soup? Or like I mean, split pea. By the way, underrated, most underrated soup is split pea soup with good ham. A good smoke ham. Not not a fan of pea, although my daughter, her favorite food is peas, like green peas. She can't stop eating green peas, and I've never been a fan of peas. It is about to be English pea season in Los Angeles soon, and I'm very excited because that is the source of my purees that I then put proteins over for all summer and do little schmears on the plate that I learned how to do with the back of a spoon. And and when I get all chef-y, peas have enabled that. That pretentious process. If someone threw soup at you, Kevin, what soup would be the most aggravating? Is it a tomato bisque? Yeah, is, I, I would think. It, yeah, the, the coloring is because you you know that that's the whole thing. Like matzo ball, you can deal with. <laughs> Although it could hurt a little bit. Yeah, if you have a really starchy matzo ball, but if you have a <laughs> fluffy matzo ball, I think it would be a good test of how your matzo balls are. I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that's gonna get me excommunicated. Oh no, matzo ball. Like, what is a matzo ball? Oh, I mean, I know it has some cultural weight so to speak but matzo balls are gross like i mean you just really think about them it's just an unappealing thing you know i mean the best matzo ball is an average food do you know what i mean matzo ball soup at josh's deli in uh sun in sunrise florida right outside of miami Mm -hmm. is so good like I, i i visited miami this this past week and like that was on my brain for most of the two days that I was in Miami. I went to I went to Sandwicherie for lunch yesterday. Oh, delicious! I love Sandwicherie and uh, on, on uh, the prosciutto on, and mozz, the Napoli with uh, lettuce, tomatoes, oh, and pickles. One. And those little those little pickles are good. The cornichons, yes, yeah, the, the French little tiny pickles, and then the vinaigrette, which is so good. Oh. I I actually saw the other day that for Sobe uh, Wine and Food Festival that Joe uh, Flam and Bruce Coleman went to Sandwichery late night. I was so proud to see that. So yeah, it was a great, a great couple of days of food. Um, nice. And uh, for all uh, for dinner the other night, Dan Lebetard, Pablo Torre, Amin El Hassan, and, and Dan's girlfriend. We all, all five of us went to Ola. Uh, have you ever? Did you go to Ola? I am not. I have not been to Ola. 
Oh, this, the crudos and ceviches there are so good. Top notch. So shout out to Brian and Zach Lieberman from, uh, from Ola. Uh, and it was, it was a great, it was a great week of food, a great couple days in, in Miami. And I can't wait till you and I go back to do a Miami uh, return in the food scene. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. No, Ola, I, I've heard wonderful things. I saw some of the Instagrams. Le Sandwichier, as you know, a, a Zadrunas Elgoskis favorite. My favorite yep. Le Sandwichier is the pate on croissant with you got to get red onion on it though, like because it gives it that it kind of bite, it cuts through that yes. that rich pate and yeah. and those pickles and and that vinaigrette is so good. And and I, I we love Miami food is just great. I, I'd love to meet you down there sometime. Uh, I'm actually angling for a Toronto Miami first round series in the NBA playoffs because that would be one of the great Eastern Conference food matchups of all time, and uh, that that would be a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And uh, I had a great uh, in Boston in Somerville, Massachusetts. One of my favorite restaurants in America is called Sarma, and it is a, a delicious kind of caucus Middle Eastern, Central Asian, a little Eastern Europe food and uh it, it that is that's the shtick there and i go there uh with our friend paul flannery and I, i've been going i think i've been three times in the last five years on the friday night of the conference we often attend uh at mit sloan and sarma is just a great restaurant uh, in a city that i've always been a little skeptical on but uh it is it is a wonderful savory ottoman delight well kevin um I am excited for the the finale, Top Chef. I'm kind of sad that it's already ending. I, I feel like we just started this podcast, Kevin. I know. It, it is uh, it, it has been too short. But looking forward to next week on Pack Your Knives of rehashing really the entire season. Hopefully we can get some voices from the show on. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, Tom. Thanks, Kevin. This is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.